and welcome back to the Sophos Naked Security Podcast. I'm Anna Brading and I'm here with Sophos experts Paul Ducklin. Hello. Matt Body. Hello. And Mark Stockley. Hi. Coming up on today's show, Duck talks about iPhone zero days, Matt discusses an Android botnet, and Mark talks about a high-profile Twitter takeover. What have you been up to this week, guys? Somebody else has <laughs> got to answer that because my life's been quite... Oh no, we don't want to hear about the greenhouse. No, we do not want to hear about the greenhouse. It was my birthday. Ah, oh, happy birthday. Happy birthday to Thank him. You. Happy birthday to him. I'll stop there. Oh, I've I was waiting for the question. I've got an important rest. question. What's yeah. your date of birth? What is my date of yeah, birth? Date of birth? Be is there a pigeon in my bank account? Are we clearing <laughs> it out? Do you also need my PIN number? I just and thought that's the name. The listeners of the podcast might want to know. I Actually, it's miscellaneous. N-A. Null. <laughs> birthday null. So it's your birthday at yeah, some specified point over null. the last seven days. Yeah. Happy birthday. Thank you. Oh, yeah, got, oh, yeah that's what, yeah, happy birthday. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. I got the gift of an amazing limerick from a colleague. Oh. Yeah, they left, them, they, they left themselves anonymous, they. What? They were anonymous. An amazing I don't limerick. know anyone It could be anyone. It could be anyone. It could be anyone. Like, they're you? such a popular medium. Yeah. Well, I wrote three limericks, but I didn't give you any of them. Uh, the three you did get must have come from somebody else. Another they anonymous source. Yeah. Must have done I mean, it, it's not impossible. Yeah. Could have been one of the other prolific limerick writers yeah. at Sophos. Yeah. If in doubt, there are obviously leave it multitudes. out. Obviously. I've so brought in some limericks. No, I haven't, because limericks are terrible. They're not terrible. <laughs> well, I've got one that is suitable for a family podcast. Okay. And it's all about cybersecurity. Sorry, where are they recording this family podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Children, listen up. There was a young lady Gather round. <laughs> we are gathered. I meant there the children. A... <laughs> Go on, Doug. Thank you. I'll stop interrupting so much. There was a young lady called Prue who was given some coding to do. Version one was so bad that we really all had to sit tight till she wrote version two. <laughs> oh, that's very good. Slam limericks are quite hard because you can't leave the rhyme of the first two lines alone once you've done them. And no, you've got to come do back to it. Do two at a time. You've got to come back to it and you get stuck, which is why I haven't got an Alice one yet because I got the first rhyme, but <clears> not <throat> the third good one. <clears throat> you, you, you also you're, don't you're very seem persuasive, but uh, you know, no, still limerick. Well, as you pointed out, Anna, Anna, it's quite hard to I've rhyme. I've told you Anna. spanner and banana. You've just got to write um, <laughs> Just out of interest, does it, does anybody have any uh, any damaging childhood limerick stories? <laughs> any any horror stories in their past? No. Anything that because you're in a trusted forum here. If anybody if anybody wants to, you know, speak now in this safe. I've got none. Duck, have you got any? <laughs> nope. No, none. No, I okay. I don't have any either. Alice, how about you? Have you got any? None. Any? Interesting. Oh. Okay, I did. It was when I tried cheating <laughs> and I asked my mum to help me write a limerick for year six which is age 10 11 and um, it was so good that I got asked to do your it. mum's limerick my mum yeah, yeah my mum my mum wrote it for me and it was so good that I got asked to perform it at the year six leavers assembly but because I'm so honest I refused to do it I didn't want to get credit for my mum's work Wow, so you were a really honest 10-year-old. So when did it yeah. all go wrong? <gasps> Duck, what are you talking to us about this week? Okay, on a more serious note, perhaps, uh, Google published a series of technical, very technical articles on their Project Zero blog detailing some 
issues that they'd found, or more more precisely, uh, a fascinating attack scenario that their threat action group had discovered against iPhone users. Right. Now, this was apparently a very targeted attack, whether it was against dissidents or activists or whether it was some kind of political power play or something um, by one regime or another. They, they've been very cagey about where this website was, which people were being targeted and so forth. But basically, their threat uh, action group found this website that had obviously been month by month deploying the latest iPhone exploits that they could find very, very quietly. So they hadn't disclosed them. They hadn't cashed them out for money. They hadn't told Project Zero. They hadn't told Apple. They hadn't told anybody. And their goal was to have this sort of rolling program, if you like, over a period perhaps of a couple of years where they could add what Google uh, referred to as an implant, but you or I would call malware, on the iPhones of many of the visitors who might have gone to those sites. Was now, it just they, one website? It's not clear. They, they, if I remember correctly, they talked about, they used the plural websites, but they talked about a sort of collective traffic in the thousands a week. So presumably the idea was this would be, I'm guessing, inferring here, that this would be the sort of boutique website that you would try and attract people to that you were particularly interested in keeping an eye on. Targeted attacks. Yeah, so mm. what's often known as a watering hole attack, where you you know you find you find something that people are likely to be interested in. You know, wow, here's a here's a big issue that you need to read about, and you entice issues them to with the iPhones, perhaps. No, I'm I'm thinking this is more along the lines of 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 some something with a a, a political or a surveillance motivation against a a particular group. So it seems that. Obviously, they didn't want this to get out because this site. It seems that this site or sites had obviously been around for quite some time, and Apple hadn't noticed. Nobody in the cybersecurity community had noticed, and then Google stumbled upon it. They called in the Project Zero guys. Fortunately, it looks as though these guys weren't brilliant about about keeping outsiders out of this site. Um, so they were able to get hold of enough stuff that they were able to to detail. I think there were five different exploits, each of which probably would have worked against some iPhones for a few months at a time. Those are those are exploits, kernel exploits, right. and they also detailed seven bugs that had been in various times, again, just for a couple of point releases, either until Apple fixed them by mistake or just as a routine thing that they, bugs that they'd found as a matter of routine. And these seven bugs were actually browser holes in the JavaScript core that's part of WebKit, which powers browsers like Safari and indeed Google's own Chrome. Uh, they're bugs that would last for a couple of months. So it's a good indication of how people who want to perform a, an attack from beginning to end, don't just rely on finding the motherload exploit like a jailbreaker might, might. There's something that they can do with a website. There's something they can do with JavaScript, which gets them code execution. That just gets them into the browser. It doesn't get them that far. And then from that, they chain to a kernel exploit. And from the kernel exploit, they can then install a program that has the ability to read files on an iPhone that well, the cops certainly wish they could. So, what, doing so did the visitors to this website have to do anything or download anything? Uh, apparently not. This is, you know, what's what's typically called a drive-by install. So the idea is they'd, they'd pick some particular exploit against the browser. 
if that worked, that would allow the browser to run some code, which would let them inject what's called shell code. That's data disguised as executable code. That code would kind of let them perhaps trigger another bug if there was one available. And that might then let them download and install something off the same website. And all but of this happens automatically. There's not some hacker kind of flying on manual, triggering these things one after the other. As far as I can see in this particular case, it would all be automatic. Although, in a sense, there is a hacker or hackers behind the scenes flying all of this because some of these exploits only lasted for a couple of Apple iPhone point releases before the bugs were obviously found independently by somebody else and fixed. So obviously there's this there's this background journey that the people who want to keep tabs on, whoever it is they're keeping tabs on, are following trying to find exploits or bugs, making sure that nobody else knows about them, and then keeping really, really quiet about them, not exposing them to the world, because they actually don't want them to be fixed. So you browse to a website on your iPhone, suddenly you have your kernel exploited and a malicious application installed on your iPhone, bypassing the Apple walled garden. That means that you can't install malicious apps on your phone. Yes, in other words, not only do you not have to go oh. to... Oh, Matt's eyes then. Oh. Was, was that Glee? Was it Glee? Look, guys, this is actually... This is a bit more serious than having a, a Google v Apple gloat because obviously somebody's it's behind this... It's very serious. Somebody's behind this in a, in, a, in a very controlled and deliberate fashion. So Google's point in now this is... Now all these exploits have passed. Now the website is essentially powerless because none of this would work against anybody. I think what they're doing is they're just trying to indicate that there is this collective threat that, you know, Apple didn't find this website. Apple patched these bugs. One of them, when Google notified them and said, you got seven days to deal with this, we found this in the wild, this is a really big deal, and it was quietly fixed. So the, the point is that no matter... What precautions you take, there is still a possibility, whatever operating system you run, whatever type of phone you have, that somebody with your worst, uh, with you know, with who wants the worst for you could, in theory, implant something on your phone. The good news is it is pretty unlikely. And the other good news is with all of this stuff, Google have published information that is, if you're a coder, is great reading because it says, Here's a kind of bug that we need to avoid in the future. Here's another kind of bug. Here's some coding techniques that we can avoid and so forth. Do we know who was behind it? No, they've been pretty cagey about this, I guess, okay. because maybe that might give away who the victims were, for example. Yeah, of which course. Would, you know, or maybe there's a bigger investigation going on. Maybe the, it, it seems like there's, there's, there's sort of less to this than meets the eye in as much as I don't think there are thousands or of people around the world who would have actually been infected. Um, what I don't know is whether there there are people that they could recognise from having access mm. to this website and somehow warn them, or even if it would be appropriate for them to get involved. Yeah, so how you, would someone know if they're affected? Well, that's the real problem, and that's that was the that was the number one question that we got asked when we wrote this up on Naked Security. Is you know, I think people are assuming it probably wasn't me. It doesn't sound like from the demographic that's that I'm infer that I infer from reading Google stuff, I'm almost certainly wasn't infected. But how can I tell? The answer is you probably can't, 
because this isn't like a rogue app that you've installed and then you realise, oh, that's the dodgy one and you go in and uninstall it. Yeah. Or Google or Apple come along and flag it for automatic removal from your device. So that's the problem. Because it's hidden in the background and it's not supposed to be there and you need to jailbreak your phone to go and find it and if you've patched your phone, you can no longer jailbreak and go and look. It is... There's no ev- There's no information from Google stuff that published that would let you go and tell if you were infected. You probably weren't, but you're never kind of going to know. The other big question that everyone's asking, of course, is let's say I were infected, or even if I assume I would, if I've rebooted my phone, if I'm patched up to date, am I now immune to this attack, which Google wrote up in so much gory detail? And the answer is, as far as we can tell, yes, you are. So that's the good news. This thing wouldn't survive a reboot. They'd have to entice you back to the website and re-exploit your phone. And the good news is that all of the stuff that Google has documented here, remember this is just, this is admittedly the stuff we know about, all the stuff documented here has been fixed for quite some time since earlier this year when Google found the bits that it didn't yet know about. Um, And of course, when you do an update on your iPhone, a reboot is an implicit part of that. So effectively, if you did have this malware, it's gone now. And if you've updated to the latest version of iOS, then this attack isn't going to worry you. But do be wary about being induced to go to websites just on somebody else's say-so. There could be, it's unlikely, but there could be, they could have your worst interests at heart. And how can people check that they've got the most up-to-date iOS? On iOS, you go to settings, general software update. Mm -hmm. It'll then call home and almost immediately you'll get an answer. If you are up to date, it'll give you the latest version. And if you're not, it will actually offer to go and fetch it. On If you've got an Android, I think you go to... It depends on the vendor, but it's Depends on the vendor, yeah. uh, Somewhere in settings. Of course it depends on the vendor. Who's who's your vendor, Matt? Uh, Well, you see, that's the thing about Android is it is a platform for developers. Mm. So they enable developers to make whatever platforms they want. You might not get updates. Yeah. You may get updates. You may have to wait for the developer because it's such a platform for innovation. You have to wait for that developer of the the innovative Mm. developer that you've trusted in and perhaps got a cheaper product for it. Sounds amazing. Sign me up. Well, it it is, to be serious for a moment, it is an issue for Android that you could go and do an update check and it'll say you're up to date with the version from July 2017. Mm. That's true. Does that happen on an iPhone, Matt? It would say you're update, but you might not be up to date. Or it will just say, sorry, your phone's not supported and you can't mm, get updates. Yeah. That is a yeah. that is a bone of contention for iPhone users, is that at least if you have an Android, yeah. you might be able to root it and install some alternative firmware if you know what you're doing. You might be able to give an old Android phone a new lease of life with an alternative Duck's firmware. Duck's on my side. Duck, you're on my side. And, and- no one's on and, your side. Man. Whereas with an iPhone, <laughs> no one's on your side. when it runs off the end of its life, you're kind of stuck. Yeah, because you're stuck. <laughs> Remind me. Unless you pay a fortune. Who, who makes your phone, Matt? Pardon? Who makes your phone? If I can just distract you two from this from this tug of war, <laughs> when stuff like this happens, there's obviously there's a tendency to focus on on the specific attack and the story because that's where the detail is. Yeah. But the stuff that I think is really interesting in this is okay. Somebody somewhere had access, at least in the in the last version of this attack, to a couple of zero days against iPhones. Yes, that they did not and, disclose, kept to themselves and used very, very quietly. And what we know about that is 
you know, somebody discovered an attack in which they were used. But of course, that doesn't say anything about where else they may mm. have been used, what other kinds of attacks. You know, if let's say it was a nation state that had access to this information, did they only use it in the one case, in the one attack? Are they, is it just the websites that Google have found or are there other websites targeting other people? Or have they disseminated that knowledge elsewhere? Has it been sold on to people? You know, there's, there is potentially, or let's say there's an, a, a story of unknown size behind this that we still don't know. And in some ways, the, the story where we have the detail is the most reassuring part of the whole thing. Like, it's scary that you may have been a victim to the, of this, but yeah. at least there's a way through it. But, you know, it may well be that there are other people out there who are victims of other similar attacks by the same people using the same technology. Yep. Poor iPhone users. And just on the point Lacking of end-to-end -end encryption as well, um, it's intriguing, isn't it? The idea that this kind of attack is a sort of natural consequence of the import of the the rise of end-to-end -end encryption. Because if you look back at uh, what Snowden said about the NSA, and let's assume it's not just the NSA, let's assume it's anyone who's got enough money and infrastructure to do it. You know, there was a lot of uh, you know trying to intercept uh, traffic in transit. And that, in part, gave rise to this the popularity of end-to-end -end encryption. Yeah. So now we have apps like WhatsApp and Telegram, you know, that are end-to-end -end encrypted. It's not like the crooks are going to give up. They're going to go somewhere else and do whatever the next best attack is. So these sorts of watering hole attacks, trying to get onto the device itself, get root and get into the databases where the messages are stored, even if they're encrypted, that you have to imagine that, well, that's, that's where the crooks are going to mm -hmm. have to go, isn't it? So end-to-end -end encryption kind of breeds attacks like this. And in a way, that is a silver lining, isn't it? Because it's saying that we have made it that if you want to get this kind of information off iPhone users, you have to go to extraordinary lengths. And let's be honest, these are extraordinary lengths. And you can't yep. even, even yep. with all these zero days that you've kept up your sleeve and exploits, the impression I get is that they don't, the exploits don't always work correctly. They, they need an awful lot of work and nurture to keep them going every time there's a change in version. Mm. So the fact that it takes that much work for somebody to be able to read, say, a WhatsApp message does mean that for most of us, we're in a way better place we, than we were yeah. in the days of Fire Sheep, where anybody sitting in the same coffee shop as us could basically read anything we were talking about. Mm. Mm. Agreed. So, Duck's been talking to us about Apple security. Matt, um, what are you talking to us about? Google have actually announced that they're going to give bug bounties for for uh, any application in the Google Play Store over 100 million uh, downloads. Those applications written by other people. Yeah, anyone. Oh. Good. What are you talking about this week? <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about a flaw in Android and how there's been a botnet floating about. Interesting. On Android devices. What's happened? It's not really a flaw in Android, actually. I think that's an unfair statement that I've made just one moment ago. I enjoyed it. Yeah, you I can imagine you did. I think I've been trying to provoke Duck this entire time whilst he's been talking about iOS and Apple, but instead I've managed to provoke you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, well, I think you provoked Duck as well. <laughs> he's just storing it up. Wait yeah. wait for a killer limerick. Yeah. That's all I can say. Just bear in mind that in the previous story, there is some concern that perhaps the kind of people who may have been caught up in the attack that we were talking about, that the information gleaned about them. The inference I think Google is inviting us to make without saying so is that actually this could be more than just a little bit serious for them. Like it could be their freedom or their lives at stake. 
So let's just bear that in mind. Here we're talking about I, what set-top boxes, which is why is there a, why is there no potential difference in a set-top box giving too much information away? How many people walk around their house naked and have a camera attached to their TV? I don't think I do. Quite a lot of people. Do you not? Oh, no, neither do I. Actually, that. <laughs> No, I walk around my house many, naked ha- carrying many, my TV. How many, <laughs> how many people do have cameras that are roughly in the position of their telly? Yeah. I don't, know, I don't think that... there's any difference in that. Come on, Matt. Get on with it. So It's like he's trying to avoid the story. I know. Interesting, isn't it? <laughs> it's like I'm trying to avoid the story. It's because, basically, some people that have been creating... Um, that have been creating devices using Android as the platform for their devices, primarily TV... Uh, uh, primarily TV manufacturers that are adopting Android as the as the smart TV function right. have left something called Android Android debug bridge on, um, which which means uh, but it, but not just left it on, but left it acting as as a uh, networkable client essentially. So Android debug bridge to explain what this is, it's it's a it's an interface where you can access the command line of your Android device. Okay. So you've got full access to access, uh, well, to start off with, you've got user access, but you can escalate to, to root or super user access of that device, just like you're typing in a command prompt on a Windows machine or on a Linux machine. So this is all the stuff that Android is designed to prevent you getting, isn't it? Mm, like Android's yeah. a kind of sealed unit and you can you can do stuff with the apps, but you can't dig into the underlying operating system on the phone itself but android debug bridge is something you turn on as a developer on your particular device in order to firstly install your app of not via the google play store so that you can so that you can just test and 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 make sure that what you've created in in android studio or something else um is it called sideloading is is valid yeah you can sideload apps onto it via adb um, there is indeed a command, ADB space, sideload space, app name. Yeah. But, Matt, you, in an IoT device that you're going to a shop and buy as a consumer, you would absolutely not expect this to be turned ADB on. to be enabled at all, let alone no. by default. No, no. Because usually, so usually you'd access ADB via a USB, st- so a USB. So you'd plug your phone into your laptop, but you can also access ADB via a network. So you can say, I want to connect to this IP address, which is your mobile phone's IP or your telephone's IP, I guess, on this port. And the port's normally 5555. So you'd access, you'd access full ADB shell where you can access the shell of that device via ADB over a network, similar to how you'd SSH or Telnet onto another device, if you know about SSH and Telnet. How could people find out more about that if they wanted to, Matt? <laughs> SSH and Telnet? Yeah. Googling SSH and, or any other search engine is available. DuckDuckGo and search for SSH I think what you're saying is that somebody Telnet. in this room may have done some SSH research... Right, honeypot. Someone may have so done long that. Ago. Wow. Consider that. Consider that an open goal missed, man. Imagine that. You're the striker. You've passed four defenders. The goalkeeper's already dived the wrong way, and you have fired the ball into Rosehead. I was really looking no, for any. No, he's up and gone. Yeah. Oh, sorry. You're not supposed to do that. I was looking yeah. for any opportunity to just carry on slating iPhone, but instead I, I missed. Just showing yourself in the foot. Just shot myself. Rubbish at self promotion. So but the, carry, the, carry on with your story, yeah, man. Carry on, yeah. come on. So WootCloud, I think that's how you pronounce it, WootCloud have found this botnet where there's been people that have essentially been trying to accumulate devices that have left ADB on by trying to connect to lots of devices on port 5555 
and essentially add those to their group of devices, their programming, their um, CPU power that they can then um, go off and try and add other devices to their bot. So this is like a cloud for bad guys? Yeah, yeah. Well, Woot Cloud is not the company that's doing this. They're the one that discovered something called Ares, which is the botnet. Right. They're okay. what we've named the botnet. And the botnet is a cloud for bad guys. The botnet is a cloud for bad guys, exactly. It's a load of um, a load of devices that they can use for whatever they want. Um, and when they actually compromise these Android devices um, via ADB, they drop a payload. And that payload gets those devices to then tell that to other devices to add those to the botnet. It gets... It, it actually start tries to ADB shell to other devices uh, over a net over the network to add those to the botnet as well. So it's a worm slash virus as well as just malware. Self spreading. Yeah, yeah, it's self spreading. It's self spreading. It's got some IP addresses which are it doesn't try and spread to like internal IPs, private IP addresses, for instance. Um, but what I think is really interesting... That's weird yeah. because you'd think that would be your best success rate. Other people on the inside of the network who've got developer mode turned on because they think they're safe because they're inside. Well, that's it, exactly. So so how on earth are there so many devices that are accessible over the internet for ADB Shell? So it is confusing that there are so many devices listening on port 555 on the internet because actually who's taking their, their device home, their, their TV home, or, or having an Android device that they're wanting to access from anywhere in the world via ADB. It's not like you're going home and you're opening up your firewall port to port 5555 and saying everybody should access this in, this device on the internet. So is so this why- a vendor blunder where they've basically in such a hurry to get the new version of the software out that they leave all the de- all the developer settings on and just ship the developer build as a production build well absolutely why why is it turned on by default on your on your on your televisions when you take them home that it shouldn't be but more worryingly how on earth is this working its way out to the internet why is your router revealing this device to the internet by default which it must be I get maybe some people are connecting them directly because it's more convenient. Directly to what? Could it be to the outside universal of the plug and play? Could yeah, that be that's, involved? The that's thing that's that, my suggestion where the device is, says to your router, hey, I've got this service, please advertise me to the world and your router obliges. Exactly. Are the root, are home routers taking port 5555 that's available on your mobile phones, on, on your TVs where it's been slightly misconfigured and then advertising that to the entire world so that anybody can access your TV and your mobile phone. So but is this a multitude a of errors? mitigations here, right, that you can do at home yeah. by going to your router and check whether you have a thing called universal plug and play, and if it's turned on, turn it off at once yep. because it's probably advertising you to the outside world. Yeah, check um, whether you are revealing port 555 to the outside world by using a service like Shodan, perhaps. That may, be, may help you slightly, <laughs> although not real-time and live. But. Uh, so do we know what devices were affected? So, well, they've named two device brands, uh, or three device brands, sorry. Um, but they're quite, I, I'm assuming these just are device brands that they managed to notice. I don't right, know whether okay. it's based on some headers that were sent back and them being on, on an online service like Shodan. Uh, but they mentioned High Silicon, Cube Tech, and Keezy Media. Is that how you say it? <laughs> don't know. But they're, they're I, I think, I've never actually heard of any of those brands before. No. But but I'd assume, I'd assume that they're relatively... Um, smaller small companies i'd assume right and they've probably accidentally left this adb debug shell on by default in their platforms just after after editing in them and and testing them for a period of time they've then shipped their live version and forgotten about it which is a, a pretty bad mistake mm. but it's, it's a mistake that you can imagine being but made. it'd be wrong to assume that they're the only people doing it yeah. wouldn't it so adb is yeah. one of those things now where 
researchers have worked out that it's it's not uncommon for manufacturers to, to leave ADB enabled, presumably by accident. Um, and so there's there's a sort of regular drip feed of, of research coming out where people have looked at different kinds of applications that are exposing ADB to the internet. So this is just, you know, you, you get a bit of research packaged up and they've looked at a particular kind of thing. So in this case, they've looked at smart TVs or set-top boxes or, you know, yeah. Um, but you know, last month it was something else, and the month before that it was something else again. So uh, there's there's a bit like with the iPhone story. There's a bigger problem. Yeah. You know, there's a, there's a, a story that isn't being told, which is implied by the presence of this one. So it, as useful as it is to understand who those vendors are, I you know if you're if you're on that list, you, you maybe you need to do something. But if you're yeah. not on that list, maybe you need to do something. Maybe you need to do something. Yeah. <laughs> so how can people protect themselves? So make sure you're not put re- revealing your TV to the internet by turning off UPnP, making sure there's a firewall rule in place to say block all inbound traffic on port 5555. Okay. Sophos Home Firewall is for free if you need a firewall to do that. Oh. Matt, here's a quick question. If yeah. you let's say you you have you're not a tech yourself but you have a tech body and they come around and they use a tool like Nmap and they scan yep. your network and they they send some probes to your telly and they find out that wow, you do have ADB turned on and you didn't know about it, what do you do then? You might get lucky and find in the TV settings that you can turn it off. Yeah, you may. Yeah, it, you may find a setting to be able to turn it off. You may be able to. Maybe they disable the settings to turn it on or off, including yeah. off. I think. I think firmware update. One of the hope. Yeah, one of the hopes is that there'll be a firmware update to actually just turn it off by default on a lot of these devices. Um, but of course, that's that's very reliant on these manufacturers creating a patch for this problem, uh, and then having a way in which the the TV can update easily and receive that patch as well, uh, which I, I don't know any of these manufacturers and how they how they manage their updating process. It's a bit of a hornet's nest, isn't it? It's one of those things where, like any story like this, obviously we try and look for what's the simple advice that we mm. can give people. And often you run into stories like this one where you go, okay, well, you can you can... St- you can stop this by blocking it at your firewall by blocking port 5555. And actually, you know, if you go and talk to man or woman in the street and say block port 555, they'll say, well, what's a port? Mm. And how do I know which one's port 5555? And I don't know if I've got a firewall. And if I did have a firewall, how would I find it? Like it's, it gets tricky quite quite quickly. And I think a lot of people would say, look, I don't know much about firewalls, but I do know about NAT. I've heard of that. And that's the thing that keep that makes... We mix in, in different circles. <laughs> well, it, no, no, I think a lot of people consider that their router is something that it connects multiple devices through one router to the internet. And that means that it's easy to get out, but it's hard to get in. Yeah. And the assumption is that most home routers, they just don't allow inbound traffic because they don't, you're not expected to run servers. So I think a lot of people assume that as soon as they turn their router on at home, basically... The crook can't probe them inwards from the outside. Every attack has to come from the from the inside out. And that's not necessarily true, is it? As Matt said, with this thing called universal plug and play, your router might actually be poking holes in itself. Yeah. And that's a feature you'd need to turn off. Exactly. Cool. Thanks, Matt. Mark, what are you talking to us about this week? Well, I'm going to reveal that in the form of a question. Oh, that's so rare. Yeah. It's a different, though. You know, you can stand down because it's a rhetorical question this okay. week. So my question is, how does the CEO of Twitter get hacked on his own platform? <gasps> Answers to be revealed later. So how does this happen? Well, we'll get to that. Started on Friday the 30th of August. We finished on Friday the 30th of August as well. Okay. Uh, Jack Dorsey, Twitter's uh, CEO and founder, uh, 
lost control of his account or his account started spewing out racist and anti-Semitic tweets to about 4 million followers. So in amongst the tat that was being spewed out on his uh, Twitter account, there were also links through to a Discord channel. So Discord is free text and voice chat for gamers, which is very popular with hackers uh, of hats of all colours. Uh, and the Discord channel belonged to a group of morons uh, called the Chuckling Squad, uh, and they claim to have hacked Dorsey's account. This is why you asked me whether you could that say is morons why, yeah. on the... I think, you know, call them what they are. The offending Discord account was killed very swiftly by the folks at Discord, and almost as quickly, but not quite, Twitter kicked the Chucklers out of Dorsey's account. Uh, and then the rumour mill started. So how had this happened? Was it a case of weak passwords? Had Dorsey not enabled two-factor authentication? Or worse still, had he enabled it, but the chuckling morons had compromised it? Well, we don't know for sure, but there are some clues. So the first clue comes from Twitter comms, which is the Twitter corporate communications account. Twitter comms tweeted, there's no indication that Twitter's systems have been compromised. And a little later, the phone number associated with the account was compromised due to a security oversight by the mobile provider. Right. This allowed an unauthorised person to compose and send tweets via text message from the phone number. That issue is now resolved. So Twitter mm -hmm. is blaming the mobile provider for a security oversight that allowed Dorsey's cell number to be compromised. And that, ladies and gentlemen, sounds like a description of a SIM swap. A SIM swap happens when a phone number is moved from one SIM card to another. Now, Duck, you've written, you've written quite a lot about SIM swaps. Would you like to explain how criminals abuse SIM swapping? Well, the idea is, of course, that these days your phone doesn't have a number. Uh, the number's encoded into the SIM, which is short for subscriber identity module. And as you probably know, if you take your SIM card out of one phone and put it in another, the new phone you put it into magically gets the number of the old one. Mm. And when you buy a new phone or you lose your phone or you switch SIM form factor or whatever from a big SIM to a little SIM, you need to go into your mobile phone shop and say, hey, I've got a new phone. Can you get me a new SIM? And when they provide it to you, plug it in after a short while, magically it comes up with your old number. And that's the process that crooks abuse in a SIM swap. Typically, they go into a mobile phone shop and they somehow convince somebody in the shop, maybe with the promise of, oh, I want to buy the greatest new phone and, you know, I'll take the best contract. And I'll take that if you're spending on somebody else's credit card, it's uh, pretty easy to, to spend large. Yep. And along with that, you know, contingent on this person who's selling the new, the new phone, thinks they're selling the new phone, contingent on their commission is, well, obviously I need a new SIM. And so you somehow talk that person into taking you through the necessary identity checks. Maybe you even have forged documentation or you can convince them well enough to basically issue a new SIM card with your old number on it, except it's not your old number, it's somebody else's. And then your phone suddenly wakes up with the number of somebody else's phone and their phone goes dead. And that's so, a SIM so swap, doing a basically. SIM swap, it, it, essentially it boils down to being able to persuade someone to move a number from one SIM card to another, either through coercion or bribery or, you know, social engineering or something like that. And there's quite a big front line, isn't there? There's a lot of people in the world who are empowered to perform SIM swaps on behalf of mobile phone companies. That's right. And in fact, that's one of the reasons why you'll hear people say, well, I'm, I'm not a big fan of two-factor authentication that's sent via SMS um, because NIST, the government body that looks after 
standards for the public service, cryptographic standards for the public service in the United States. They've said they want to deprecate, move away from SMS two-factor authentication for the very simple reason that they feel they simply are not in a position to control the issuing of these cards, mm. which are basically the cryptographic secrets that go around the authentication. So even though it might be better than having no 2FA, the fact that it's under the control of this vast sea of of potent, possibly corrupt or ill-informed or venal, uh, uh, you know, commission-chasing salespeople in mobile phone stores with the best one in the world, it is reasonably hard to protect against. The good news is you can't go out and get a million new sims easily. Mm. Kind of have to go and you have to go and talk a million people into it. So my understanding is these do tend to be more targeted attacks. And the other good news is that the person whose phone gets taken over although they might not notice, they do have a fighting chance because, of course, their phone goes dead inexplicably, even if they're in service area. Mm, so that's a good... Of course, you then can't phone up your provider because your phone's <laughs> gone dead. But at least there is a telltale, and that is the silver line. Uh, brilliant, Duck. Thank you very much. That's a fantastic description. So that was clue number one. You remember that the Twitter comms were laying the blame at the yeah. feet of the mobile provider. Clue number two comes from the tweets themselves. So if you use Twitter, you'll know that uh, the tweets indicate where they came from. So they say whether they came from the website or the mobile app. Well, the, the compromised tweets sent out from Dorsey's account uh, said they came from Cloudhopper, which is kind of unusual. Cloudhopper is the name of a service that Twitter bought in 2010 to bolster its SMS infrastructure uh, to allow you to send tweets via SMS messages. And it still uses the Cloudhopper ID. Uh, and you'll recall that Twitter comms said an unauthorised person was able to compose and send tweets via text message. Well, it seems that with a phone number by itself, uh, or it seems that a phone number by itself might be enough to send a tweet via Cloudhopper. Right. So it looks like the hackers didn't get full control of Dorsey's account. They didn't hack into his Twitter account. Um, what they did was they acquired the ability to tweet through his Twitter account via this uh, Cloudhopper service. So the popular but unconfirmed answer is to how does the Twitter CEO get hacked on his own platform is that actually he probably wasn't hacked on his own platform. Uh, it's his phone that was hacked or his phone number that was hacked. And I would argue that although that's good news for Twitter because their infrastructure is okay and it's good news for Twitter users because you don't have to worry about Twitter security, it's probably much worse news for Dorsey. I would argue that losing control of your phone number is probably a much bigger deal than losing control of your Twitter account mm. because also phone much numbers harder are to do when you're much easier to get back your Twitter account if you're Twitter CEO I would imagine if it was just Twitter account. You'd hope so. They did they did restore his access very very quickly. So I they think it was about though. 15 minutes. Yeah. Um and there is there is some umbrage by other people who I don't get that umbrage. Of course. Of course they did. I don't think it's a surprise, is it? You're saying it's a it's a two-tier system, Anna? Yes. I'm saying that I think if something like that happened within Sophos, we'd be quick to sort something out if it was the... If you if ran a company, you would expect company. them to restore your access quicker than any of your customers. 
Yeah. That's because of PR purposes. No, it's a little different to <laughs> it's that. The PR, it's the PR side of it. I, I, agree, I, I agree with Anna on this one. I think for the problem for Twitter when they're restoring a social media account that's been hacked is making sure that the restoration process is not itself a hack. And I would imagine that given that at Jack is the CEO of Twitter, it was pretty jolly easy for them to figure out those weren't his tweets and they're pretty damn sure that he's the owner of the account. So if they can move fast then they should and they did. So, yeah. And then you're one of many when you're a customer, whereas he's the only CEO and founder. I mean, I don't... I'm guessing that... I think people like to get annoyed for no reason. People on Twitter like to get annoyed? (gasps) When you're locked out of your account, don't you have to prove uh, your identity, just like Anna said? I should imagine. So you have to prove who you are and that you are... I can imagine that Jack could probably just walk up to someone and say, yeah, it was me and somebody's got into my account. Can you fix this for me? Yeah. Whereas she's not unlike the whole sim swap problem, isn't it? That someone can just who walk owns up. your account? Mm. Who owns yeah. your sim? Right. Um, we had a question on social media about it actually. Um, at Liam Charlie W said, "How much of a threat is sim swapping, and what can we do to prevent it?" Ooh, that's a tricky one. Who wants to answer that? Dark. You've got opinions, haven't you? Well, to the <laughs> no. best of my knowledge. The answer is, I think it depends on your mobile provider and it depends on the country you're in. Some countries have more liberal regulations about reissuing SIMs. Um, For example, I've had a SIM reissued, not in the UK, in a country where to get a SIM at all, even in the first place, even a prepaid one, uh, you need to present identification and you need to have a proof of address. So you have to show up in person, you can't just order one by mail or or you can but it won't be activated and if you want to get a number change from one sim to another the same thing applies you have to bring an affidavit that you've signed in front of a police officer that says that you you have the right to that number and you have to basically show id so it's not perfect but it does put a a massive speed bump in the way that somebody actually has to show up so it can't be done remotely and my understanding is some mobile providers have an option that you can set that and again, it depends on the provider, that kind of makes it, puts a lot of bureaucracy into the process of doing a SIM swap with them. Now, of course, for some people, that means if you lose your phone and you want to get a new SIM issued, it could take ages. In other words, you could be a victim of your own protection. So it's a bit like blocking transfers on your domain name. Absolutely. Same sort of idea. The idea is you make it hard for yourself because it makes it very much harder for the crooks. Mm. So if you can do that, speak to your mobile provider. I would recommend you do it because it does mean that somebody who falls out with you and storms off and goes, I'm going to get you, can't just go to the mobile phone company and say, oh, hi, I'm Mark. Can I get a new SIM? Because in the old days, it kind of used to be that easy. Very similar to you, Exactly. (laughs) Uncanny almost. But I, my understanding is you can make it much harder than that, and you might as well. Yeah. It, it's very hard to stamp it out because the idea is it's meant to be easy to get a SIM. It's meant to be easy to get on the mobile network. It's meant to be easy to get back on if you lose your phone. But if it's too easy, then crooks can abuse that process. I suppose it's worth saying as well, Duck, you mentioned earlier about NIST uh, advising that people, or they, they, they can no longer advise that people use uh SMS for two-factor authentication. Well, in particular, they don't want it to be an allowed standard in the public service. They want to set a higher standard, as simple as that. that, But that kind of sets the tone for everybody else, doesn't it? Yeah. um, That even though that's the case, where we see SIM swapping being done like this, it tends to be in targeted attacks. So I don't know of any SIM swap attacks that have happened at scale where millions of people have Mm. been compromised. It tends to be 
you know the crooks have got to go after somebody in particular just on okay. just a, a, on that sms 2fa if you if your only option is SMS-based 2FA and you have a decent password, in my opinion, it's still better than not having 2FA at it's all. It's much better, isn't it? Much, yeah. much yeah. better, yeah. But it's not perfect and don't assume that it is. Yep. And if you see your phone go dead unexpectedly, do something about it because it, it could be that somebody else has taken it over. Right. Thanks, everyone. I'm off to have my lunch now. Um Mark, where can we find you on social media? You can find me at Mark Stockley. You can find me at Internet of Hens. Duck? At DuckBlog on Twitter, at PDucklin on Instagram. Matt? At InfosecBody on both Instagram and Twitter. Captain Unified. Captain Unified. And Sophos.com slash RDP? Sophos.com slash Ridipa. What's the URL of your uh, your SSH research that you completely forgot about earlier? I've got no idea what the URL is. I was just thinking we need a vanity URL. You've moved on, haven't you? Yeah, I've moved on. (laughs) Sovos.com slash RDP. I'm at Anna Brady on Twitter and we are at Naked Security on Twitter and Instagram. Um, If you like our podcast, please rate and review us. Um, We've had a couple of nice reviews lately, so it'd be nice if anyone else would like to add to it. Maybe we should do our own as well. I'll say that. Podcast host. You could get your mum. You could get your mum to write to write one for she you. Could, in the form of yeah. a limerick. Yeah. Okay. Uh, tweet us at Naked Security with suggestions, limericks, or questions for the podcast, or you can email us at tips at sophos.com. And until next time, stay secure. stay secure. What? I was going to say before we do that. Do you think we could finish with a big go from Alice? I think. That- okay. Go on then. <laughs> okay. <laughs>